Let me pray for us. We will uh, get into the message for today. Father, we, we, uh, we love you. We thank you um, for this time. We thank you for opportunities to send out Christy, but also uh, we're just reminded as well that each one of us is sent. Each one of us is here for a purpose that you have called us and uh, want to use us in our workplaces, in our homes, in our neighborhoods to shine the love of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would teach us and lead us, instruct us today um, how to love you and how to love our neighbors uh, better and better, more like you, God. And so come and have your way. Come and speak to us and lead us and guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start out uh, sharing a story. I think I shared, I might have shared this one time before, maybe right at the very beginning, but uh, was thinking back this week to a time in my life. I had been a believer for a couple of years. I was living in Russia doing missions. I had uh, kind of pitched the idea to some of my best friends who went with me. And so we were living in St. Petersburg, Russia, ministering to college students. I remember we had been there maybe three, four, five months long enough that I was exhausted from trying to learn Russian and, and just have that crammed into your brain uh, long enough that I was sort of homesick and just longing for home long enough that I was tired. Uh, I was a little bit tired of going to, to Russian churches where I couldn't, I, I did, couldn't really worship uh, well in Russian. I couldn't uh, understand the message. I was just a little weary from some of that stuff. And I remember uh, a friend of mine by the name of Tim Lumens and I had heard about this, um, this church that had, was newer in the area. It's called the International Church of St. Petersburg. And it was where most of the, the, uh, the foreign nationals uh, went, that went to church went to church in St. Petersburg. It was a bilingual um, service. And so the, the pastor was actually a Brit. And so he preached in English or whatever you want to call that, right? I mean, <laughs> British accent. But uh, he, he preached in English and then they translated. They did some worship in both languages. And I was hooked. I was like, oh yeah, I was ready. I was so looking forward to going, connecting with some Americans, being able to just talk and just be and whatever. I was looking forward to going and worshiping. I was looking forward to hearing a message I could understand. I was, I was so ready. And so we went to the service, had a great experience. Um, it was a pretty good sized uh, church. I don't know, several hundred people were there. Uh, great message. Like I said, great worship. Um, enjoyed it. Got, was, uh, really encouraged, I, I think at, at the time. And, uh, we got done, the service got done and just turned naturally, just turned to the person next to me and started talking and, and uh, connecting and that kind of stuff. Another American. And so we were just talking about all kinds of stuff and what he was doing there, what I was doing there and all this kind of stuff. And uh, it, it occurred to me that my friend was no longer with me, my friend Tim. And so I started kind of looking around. He was nowhere to be found. I'm like, he must have just snuck out as soon as the service was over. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? And so I finished up my conversation and kind of started looking around the, the outskirts. And there I found him way in the furthest corner away talking to this older man. And so I'm walking over to join him. And as I'm getting closer, um, I, I'm starting to get this image that's uh, of who he's talking to. There's this older guy is there. His hair is completely unkempt. His beard is untrimmed. As I'm getting closer and closer, I notice a smell that's, that's starting to come up uh, on my nose. I'm noticing that this guy is probably hasn't bathed in weeks or months or who knows how long. I can smell uh, alcohol on him. I can smell body odor, right? I mean, the whole deal is I'm getting closer and I'm like, oh man, he's a Russian dude. Uh, and it, it's pretty obvious that he's homeless. And, uh, and I'm like, well, okay. You know, I'm, it's kind of a cool thing that, you know, Tim's doing. So he's talking to the guy and whatever. And I'm like, okay, we'll do this. And then we'll go home and, and, uh, get some lunch and that kind of stuff. And about, as I'm thinking about this, um, 
I, I hear my friend Tim invite uh, this guy by the name of Peter over to our house for lunch. And I'm thinking, oh, that is just not what I was wanting. And so, but I'm like, okay. So he comes over, uh, joins us for lunch. And you might be thinking, what kind of missionary are you? But just stick with me, right? <laughs> kind of thing, right? I mean, I'm, I, I, he comes over, we're doing lunch, we're getting to know him, we're having conversation. And I think, well, cool, He's, time comes for him to go, and he goes. And I'm thinking, well, that's, that's the end of that. And, uh, and then Tim, a couple days later, uh, invites him over again. <laughs> and this kind of this pattern continued. Uh, there was one particularly cold uh, Russian winter night that uh, he didn't have a place to stay. And so Tim invited him into our apartment to, to spend the night with us. We set him up in his own kind of separate room. And, and uh, we, we had a meal together. And he bedded down for the night. We all bedded down for the night. And I remember waking up super early uh, the next morning. Uh, maybe 5 a.m. or something like that with clanger, clanging going on. We had a big, big metal front door and he's opening it up and things are bumping up against it. We come out and f- we find Peter with two pillowcases of our possessions <laughs> as he's walking out the front door. And I remember the cynical part of me says, well, I mean, that's sort of what you get, right? I mean, that's I mean, finally, my friend Tim's going to get this out of his system, right? I mean, and we kind of talked with him a little bit, and I was amazed to watch, uh, again, my friend forgive this guy and talk with him. I mean, we took the stuff back, but, uh, but, uh, but continued to, to follow up and uh, continued to meet with this guy, continued to buy him lunch. There were some different parameters, some, right, some boundaries and that kind of stuff. But uh, my friend put on a clinic over these next... Um, days and weeks and months of what it looks like to love your neighbor. And I remember uh, somewhere in the midst of that, God speaking to me and just really starting to mess with me about my own heart in this deal and just saying, you know, you're not really loving people well. <laughs> you're not, if, if, you're, if you're judging, if you are judging by external appearances and choosing who you're going to love and who you're going to have compassion on and who you're not, then I'm not so sure that you're loving the way I'm call, I've called you to love. And uh, yeah, it was an ouch kind of moment. And I, I, I think I learned a lot in that era about how God wants me to live and how God wants us to live. I, I experienced it from the negative, and yet I think it's impacted um, how I view uh, those around me and the way Tim really viewed those around him. He didn't see people that were stinky and homeless and dirty and whatever else. He saw a child of the living God that was made in his image that, that is somebody that is worthy of love that needs to know that they matter. They matter to us and they need to know that they matter to the living God. And, uh, and that's kind of what we're talking about today, right? I mean, we are on week number two of a uh, series that we're doing of how to neighbor. And it comes, of course, from the teachings of Jesus, where Jesus says, you know what the most two important things are in, in this world, in life, in all of it? The, most, the two most important things, he says, is love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And the second is like it, he says, to love your neighbor as yourself. And as we talked about last week, I think we do a pretty good job of loving ourselves, <laughs> I'm not so sure that I and we always do such a good job of loving our neighbor. And then he goes on, well, like we talked about last week, who's our neighbor, remember? Everybody, right? There's, there's not a person that you or I have ever locked eyes with that isn't in Jesus' definition of our neighbor. Doesn't matter if they dress like you, talk like you, look like you. It doesn't matter, right? I mean, anything. They're your neighbor. They are someone made in the image of God that he has called you and I to love. Listen to a few of these verses um, 
straight from the, this is straight from the lips of Jesus, right? A new command I give you, Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. First John 4, 7, another one from God's word, right? Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And verse 11 says, dear friends, since God so loved us, so we also ought to love one another. Over and over and over throughout the pages of scripture, we see, we see God saying this again and again and again. The way I have loved you, he says, I am sending you out to love one another. Well, how has Christ loved us? I can't hear you. What's that? Died on a, sacrificially he's loved us. How else? Unconditionally. How else? That was good. One, one, one in Mark's column there, yeah. How else? How has he loved us? Completely, right? Yeah, jaw-droppingly with forgiveness and grace. I mean, though we didn't deserve it. Amazing. An important and distinguishing factor for those of us that call ourselves followers of Christ according to the scriptures, is the way we love one another, that we would love others the way he has loved us. And Jesus was great at loving people, wasn't he? He was amazing. When Jesus would encounter people like prostitutes, he wouldn't throw stones, he didn't call names, he wouldn't put down. He just loved and counseled the woman to go and sin no more. When Jesus encountered a a cheating IRS type agent of his day. He didn't look down or demean or act smug or superior. Instead, he loved. He spent time with them and told them to give back what he had swindled. When he ran into lepers, he touched them and he healed them. When his disciples betrayed and abandoned him, Jesus forgave them and restored their relationship. It's crazy. You see this, this model of Jesus over and over and over again. When the Pharisees, in fact, the sort of Jesus' arch enemies, those that were dead set against him, uh, those that, when they were looking for something to accuse Jesus of, the best they could come up with is what? He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. They meant it as a bad thing. Jesus is like, are you kidding me? This is what I'm here for, right? I came to seek and to save those that were lost. I came to show the love of God. I came to show the full plan of God and to live out the full plan of God to help those that are far from me come home. He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He's And we see this played out again and again and again in the way that he loved unbelievably in jaw-dropping kinds of ways. And then he says to his followers, he says to you and to me, he says, you know what, now go and love others the way I have loved you. By this, all people will know you are my followers if you love one another, if you love your neighbor as yourself. Today, I want us to uh, take the next step and uh, talk about loving the lonely is sort of the the title of the message. We're just going to talk about some real practical things we're going to learn straight from the life of Jesus, straight from his interaction with people that were on the fringe, his interaction with actually one individual that was sort of an outcast, was lonely, was on the fringe of society. And I want to look at practically how did he show love to them 
and then we're going to talk about, and what does that mean for us? If, if the model is love others the way Jesus has loved us, then I think these, this has some significant uh, implications and applications for us. So here's, that's where we're going today. Uh, Mark 1, starting with verse, verse 40 is where we're going to be. You can follow along in the Ignite Church app. There's a notes section if you want. You can follow along on the screens. You can open up your Bibles, whatever. Mark chapter 1, verse 40. It's an interaction that Jesus has with a guy with leprosy. And I want you just to just kind of follow along with me. We're just going to kind of walk through this today. It says this, a man with leprosy uh, came to him, Jesus, and begged him on his knees, if you are willing you can make me clean. Now, here it says, Jesus was indignant, and let me just make a clarification. This means literally indignant towards the man's situation. Every other translation, and uh, pretty much every other commentary you can find translates it compassion, and that's really what it's getting at. Jesus was filled with compassion. He was indignant towards this man's uh, situation is what, what it means there. So it goes on. It says, he reached out his hand and he touched the man and he said, I am willing. Be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See to it that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. So I just, uh, real quick, I'm just going to look at three things today. Again, just some real practical ways that Jesus expressed and showed love to this guy that was was an outcast, this guy that was lonely, that was isolated, that was poor, that was seen as unclean and in need. First one is, is uh, just pretty much implied, uh, just that he stopped, right? He stopped what he was doing. He turned his face towards him. He, he gave full attention to this guy that was in need. Jesus saw him. He stopped. He turned his face uh, towards him, and he engaged with him. Now, keep in mind, Jesus' popularity is growing. We just re- read a couple of verses before that, right, that uh, stuff had happened so much that the whole town came out when he had done a healing. Everybody was wanting some time with Jesus. Every, he was a busy guy. He was busy shaping his disciples, right, forming the, the people that would take over his ministry. I mean, he was had a huge teaching ministry that was going on. He was living out the plans of the Father. He had people to go, right? People to go, places to go, people to see, right? I mean, he was, he was a man on a mission, and yet there's this one guy, one guy that was in need, that was an outcast, that was lonely, that cried out, Jesus, would you help me? And Jesus stops, and he turns towards him. You know, uh, Psychologists say that attention is one of the most powerful forces on the planet. Psychologists have done a ton of study on how this relates to infants, and they've concluded that in order for a baby to grow up healthy, uh, a baby to grow up with good social skills, that that an an infant needs to have not only food and water and that kind of stuff, but they say this, but also the attentive gaze of a human face. They say that as an infant lies on its back in its crib and looks up at an adult, attentive face looks back and smiles, that the baby responds. And for the very first time, they learn that as they smile, somebody else responds to them. And that's how they start to learn that they matter, that they're connected in relationship to one another. Psychologists call this phenomenon attunement. 
They say that as that baby begins to understand that they can be connected and in tune with another human being by gazing up and having somebody else gaze back at them. In fact, they say that it is primarily this attentive gaze of the face that communicates to the baby that they matter, that they have worth, that they have value. And they say infants pick up on this stuff amazingly quickly. The window for this is is actually fairly short. If I can hit the pause button for a second, I was just thinking this week and thinking, how cool is it, by the way, that if you are a child of God, if you are a follower of Jesus, the Bible tells us that we have the attentive gaze of the Father looking down on us, communicating that we, that we matter, that we matter. There's a blessing in the Old Testament, right, that says, that says this, that says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. You know, the Lord lift up your countenance, like lift, lift up uh, your countenance to, to kind of catch the gaze of the Father and give you peace. It's a picture of, of the Father being attuned to us, right? That, that, his, his, uh, that the living God is focused in on and listening to and in relationship with us. Does you think that matters to our soul? You think that matters to our identity, to our core? Man, it's powerful. It's transformational. And what's true of the way the Father is attuned to us and reflecting and turning his face towards us Jesus models and lives out to say, you know what, you should love one another this way. We too communicate value and worth by stopping, turning our face towards people and attuning with them. I remember, uh, I'm gonna share one more story, but I guess I'll just say first, man, I, I just find myself wondering this week how many people are around us in any given day that are just longing to the core of their being for, for you or for someone else, for someone just to turn, to turn their face towards them, for them to stop and communicate that they matter. I remember uh, right out of college, um, I, uh, I did youth and uh, worship ministry for a church outside of Rockford for a little while, and uh, there was uh, we started from scratch, and so we started with a junior high ministry, and we, it was early on. We were just getting going. We had maybe a dozen or 15 uh, different junior high students that would meet in our living room and, uh, and that kind of stuff, and it was a trip, <laughs> I have to say. It was, it was fun uh, and crazy all at the same time, but I remember there was this one girl that was tough as nails. She was the kind of kid that no what I said, no matter what we would do as a group, she'd be like, that's stupid. I'm not doing that, right? I mean, it was that kind of a thing. Like, you'd be like, you know, let's spend some time praying. She'd be like, that's stupid. Let's play this game. That's stupid. I mean, it was, it was that kind of thing over and over. And it was about ready to make me pull my hair out, right? I mean, you're just like, ah! Like, would you just go with it? Because it's affecting the whole group. And I remember uh, one particular night, where, again, we're meeting in our living room. And uh, there's, again, maybe a dozen or so uh, junior high students. And I, one of the things I'd do is I'd just ask them crazy questions. We had books of questions and all kinds of things, and we just try to get them talking and sharing life and, and that kind of thing. And so I asked some sort of crazy question, uh, get to know you kind of thing, and this young girl, I mean, we're going around, the kids are sharing, there's some good, you know, connection stuff happening. I'm like, this is great. It gets to her, and uh, her name is Tara at this point, and she's like, that's stupid. Why would I do that? And I was just like, rather than pulling my hair out, it was a moment like where it must have been a God thing, right? Where I just kind of stopped and I turned towards her and I said, you know what? I mean, the reason we do this is because we care about you and we want to get to know you. 
And I'll tell you what, it was like a light bulb went on in this girl's head. I couldn't get her to shut up for the next year. <laughs> I mean, like she, she, so she opened up, she started talking, she started sharing about her life. She stayed after and was telling me and anybody else that would listen about, about what, her, what was going on in her life. It was, it was the moment she had been waiting for, for somebody to stop and turn their gaze towards her and communicate, you know what, you matter Went on to find out later, I didn't know at the time, but I found out later that uh, her parents had gone through a brutal divorce. And you know how sometimes there's custody battles that happen in families and that kind of stuff of like, where parents are like, no, I want the kids. And they're like, the other one's like, no, I want the kids, that kind of stuff. They had the exact opposite custody battle. Both of the parents were like, I don't want her, you take her. And they were like, I don't want her, you take her. I don't want her, you take her. And so this, what had this girl grown up believing, right? Nobody wants me, I don't matter. And soon this, this girl started to hear for the first time, you know what, you matter to God and you matter to us. It's part of how we learn to love our neighbor is just to stop and turn our face towards people and listen, right? With a heart full of compassion, with a, with a heart that loves people. I wonder how often we just walk by people and say, hey, how's it going? And we don't even, right? We're not even looking. We're not even around to hear them anymore. And it, and we walk, and of course, I do this, you do this, we all do this, so I'm, it's not, I'm not throwing stones here, but, uh, but at the same time, it's so easy for us to do that, and I wonder how many times in a day we walk by people that are crying out, if we could listen to the cry of their soul, they're saying, man, does anybody care? Does, do I matter? And you and I have the privilege and the opportunity to love as God has loved us. We are called to love others, and we can stop turn our face towards them and communicate that you matter. You matter to God and you matter to me. I wonder who God might be nudging you to, to love on like that today and tomorrow and the day after at work, at home, in your neighborhood, at the store. The living God wants to, to use you to impact others that way. All right, let's go on. I better keep going or we're going to get in trouble here. Uh, second thing, I just want to, so, so Jesus stopped, right? He turned his face. He turned his gaze. Second thing is that he cared. Uh, that was partially my problem uh, in Russia with the homeless guy, wasn't it? If, if I'm honest, I just didn't care. I cared about myself. Like, I was, we were, like we were talking about last week, right? Like we love ourselves pretty well. I'm not so sure we always do a good job of loving our neighbor as ourselves. And that's what we are called to. But Jesus, man, this Jesus stops and he cares. And we see this throughout his ministry, right? There's tons of places throughout the New Testament that make a point of mentioning that Jesus was moved to compassion, that Jesus cared about people. And it didn't matter who they were, right? They could be rich, poor, black, white, prostitute, religious, or anywhere in between. It made no difference for him, for Jesus, right? Jesus was for them. And in our passage, the author makes a point of mentioning that he cared for them. He was disturbed by the situation and he was moved to compassion is what it literally means. Um, again, verse 41, this is from the NASB. Like I said, every other translation puts it this way. And this is, this is what the word, the Greek word actually means. It says, moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him and said, I am willing, be cleansed. He had compassion. He cared. He was moved to action. Jesus showed no favoritism. He, he knew and lived out this belief that every person was valuable to God. 
They were created in God's image and they were loved. They were of infinite worth. In fact, he thought they were worth dying for. That's the reality. It didn't matter what their background was, where they'd been, what they'd been doing, what nationality they were or what they'd done. He cared and as he, as he has loved us and as he has loved others, he calls us to love others as well. Let me just hit the pause button for a second and just say, how are you doing on this one? Would you say that your heart is similarly filled with compassion towards those that are around you and specifically towards those that are different from you? Towards those maybe that bug you a little bit. Towards, <laughs> I, I, I put a list in, right? People that are rich or people that are poor. How's your heart? How's your heart towards politicians? <laughs> Would you say you're filled with compassion? <laughs> I don't think we ought to answer that question. How about those that you find annoying at work or in your neighborhood? Somebody that maybe is an extra grace required kind of person, right? Kind of thing. Would you say that your heart is like Jesus and that you are filled with love and compassion, wanting what's best for them and not just to get out of the conversation as quick as you can? We talked about this last week, and so I'll only hit it quickly, but I was just thinking about this verse over and over, James 2. Um, I, I put the whole thing up, and I'm actually going to skip most of it, and I'm just going to read the last uh, verse, verses 8 and 9. Uh, James 2, 8 and 9 says this. This is James, the brother of Jesus, that's teaching, uh, writing this to the church. He says, If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture to love your neighbor as yourself, then what you are doing is right. But if you show favoritism you sin. If you show favoritism. So what he's saying is if you are picking and choosing who you're loving, who your neighbor is, right? If you're just picking and choosing, well, I like this person, so I'm going to consider them my neighbor, and oh, I'll treat them nicely, but I'm going to snub the person over here because I don't like the way they look or smell or what job they do or what they've done in their past or whatever. If you do that, Jesus says, you sin, but if you keep the law, he's saying, of loving your neighbor as yourself, then you do what's right. It's the point. The point is don't show favoritism in the way you love others. Our hearts are to be wide open towards all. We are to see those around us and care. We are to be filled with compassion, earnestly desiring to see good stuff in their lives. This week, friends, would you pay attention to how your heart is towards those around you? I know, uh, I speak for myself as well, but I know how easy it is for us to kind of harden up towards certain people. Would you kind of keep a pulse on that this week as you go throughout your day of how, how is my heart? Am, am I really filled with compassion towards this person that I interact with and this person that I interact with and the person that I interact with tomorrow at work and the one that I interact with when I get home and on and on and on. Would you kind of keep a pulse on that? Jesus, right, he stopped and he saw, he turned his face towards, he was filled with compassion and then we'll get to the practical stuff here especially. The third one is that he reached out, he ministered to those that were, to, to the guy that was before him and he did kind of three different things uh, in here that I'll just look at real quick. He showed love practically in three different ways. He spoke to him first, right? Words are powerful, friends. I mean, in this passage, the guy says, man, if you're willing, you can make me clean. You can heal me. You can make me new. And what, what does Jesus say to him? He says, I am willing. I am willing. He says, be healed. You think that was words of life to this guy's soul? He's communicating. You know what the heart of God is? The heart of God is, I want, 
I, th- I think God wants you to be clean. He wants you to be forgiven. He wants your faith to, 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 to be put into practice. And God wants to do amazing things through it. He spoke life into the guy. Mother Teresa once said this. He said, she said, kind words can be short and easy to speak, but their echoes are truly endless. You know what? Sometimes you and I, I, I don't know that I can speak and say, hey, be healed, and that that's always going to happen. But I do think, man, our words are powerful. We have the ability to speak words of life or death to people. Proverbs says this, the tongue has the power of life and death. Those who love, love it will eat of its fruit. Our words have the power to build up and our words have the power to tear down. And as we learn to love our neighbors as ourselves, part of that is learning to speak words of love and to also be careful a little bit with those words of anger, those words that destroy and tear down. I wonder if there's somebody in your life this week that you need to reach out to and speak into them and build them up. Maybe you need to communicate value or love to them. Maybe you need to communicate to them that they matter to the living God, that God has good stuff in store for them, good plans, that he loves them with an unchanging, unquenching love. Jesus speaks to him. The second one is he touched him, right? probably heard this before or thought about it before, but I mean, this is a pretty significant statement, right? Jesus touches the leper, right? In that day, lepers were, leprosy was thought to be highly contagious. And so from the moment you were diagnosed with leprosy, what happened? You got ripped out of your family. You got thrown out of the city to live on the fringes. It's entirely possible that the last time he, this guy had had a hug, had had an arm around him was before he learned he had leprosy. Could have been years ago. Nobody touched a leper. They would have to shout unclean as they went around the the edges of society. They couldn't come to the temple to worship, right? They couldn't go to the store. They had to shout that everybody would scatter away from them. It's like the plague, right? I mean, it was terrible. And yet Jesus sees this guy and he reaches out and he touches him. It's a significant thing. It's a way he communicates value and worth and love. It's not unintentional that he does that. Could be the first human contact this leper has had in years. But Jesus reaches out and he touches him. I think sometimes we significantly underestimate the power of touch. I remember, uh, some of you remember Aunt Dorothy? Remember my aunt, keyboard player, the woman, she's like rocking it out up there on stage. She, she's been around and helped us start this church. Well, she helped start, uh, she, came, she and Marv came up uh, when we started a church up in Wisconsin too, and they drive like seven hours or something up, came to our preview services and, and that kind of thing. And, and uh, Aunt Dorothy's awesome. She's all, she was always sort of scanning the room and looking for people that were excluded, and she'd go over and connect with them. And I remember our first preview service, she, she connected up with this older woman, widow, uh, and she ended up loving on her and hugging her and, and uh, talking with her and just laughing and having fun and doing her thing. And uh, I remember our second preview service. So a month later, uh, this woman showed up again. And I went, in, I went over and I greeted her. I'm shaking her hand and I'm talking to her. And we're laughing a little bit. And as we're talking, she's kind of like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And she's kind of looking around the room. Kind of like, yeah, okay. Like I was getting blown off like big time. <laughs> like she's kind of looking around the room. And I'm like, who are you looking for? She said, well, I'll tell you what. She said, I came for one reason and one reason only. And I'm like, well, what's that? She said, I came to get my hug. And I thought, 
you know what? That's interesting. Uh, she came back. She became a part of the church. There was, God did some cool stuff and whatever. But this widow, you know what? I bet that, that might have been the only hug she'd had that month. I think sometimes we severely underestimate the power of appropriate touch, of putting the hand on somebody's shoulder, of giving a hug, of giving a handshake, of letting some, communicating that they matter, that we love them. I think part of us learning to love our neighbors as God has loved us has to do with appropriate touch like that, right? Putting a hand on somebody's shoulder, praying for them, loving on them, hugging them, letting them know, you know what, you belong and you matter and you're of great value. It's part of, part of the culture we've tried to create here as a church, right? That everybody, everybody needs that kind of thing. I wonder if there is someone around you that could use just an arm, you know, like a brother, like arm over around their neck or a hug from somebody that, uh, that communicates that they matter. I wonder if God might use you this week in those kinds of ways. Third thing is this, and this is the last point, I promise. And uh, it's this, is that he actually met the needs, right? Now, now Jesus has the perk of being God <laughs> and man at the same time. And so, but he looked long enough to see what the need was for this guy and he healed him. The guy's crying out, right? Like, if you're willing, you could make me clean. And Jesus says, I am willing. He touches him and heals him. He restores, takes the leprosy away, restores his body. An amazing thing. And I think sometimes needs are super, uh, you know, supernatural like that. And, and like I said, I, I don't know that you and I are going to go and touch someone or have our shadow fall on them and they're going to be healed, although God can do that. But we have the opportunity to take them before the living God, don't we? We have the opportunity to pray to the only one that can bring healing in desperate situations. If it was, if it was me in this story, maybe you touch them and you pray to the, to the healer, right? And say, Jesus, would you come? God, would you come and bring your healing power Sometimes it's, it's beyond what we can do, but we have the opportunity and the privilege to take them before the living God. But sometimes the needs are super practical. The Bible talks again and again and again about, uh, about the followers of Christ are to meet the needs of the poor and the needy. If, if you see somebody that needs shelter to, to invite them in, if they need a meal to feed them, if, they, if they're thirsty to give them a drink, sometimes it's as simple as meeting practical needs. If we are engaging with people in attuning, turning our face towards them, if we are filled with compassion, there are needs that you and I are called to meet. It's going to require sacrifice on our part. It's going to require giving of ourselves. It's going to include taking some risks, stepping into to some situations that aren't always the safest. You might end up with a guy that's with two fill, uh, pillowcases of your, your possessions at your front door someday. But Jesus, Jesus has strong words to say that, you know, that, that this is what Christ followers look like. Those that don't live that out, he's saying, I'm not so sure you get it. Because as I have loved you, as I have been gracious to you, as I have provided for you, so I'm calling you to learn to love your neighbors like that, to be compassionate, to be gracious, to give. Freely you've received, freely give. He says, right? I mean, just on and on and on. First John 3.18 says, Dear children, let us not just love with words or with tongue, but with actions and in truth, right? He's saying sometimes... There's just stuff, you just practical needs that you need to put into practice. Your faith is going to get lived out in one way or another. 
Friends, Jesus says, love others as I have loved you. You and I need to learn to see others the way he sees them. You and I need to learn to stop and to turn our gaze onto others, give them the attention to communicate that they matter, that they are valued by God and by us. We've got to make sure that our hearts are plugged in with God and that we are learning to be filled with the same grace and compassion and love that he has towards us that, so that we can give those to others. And then to reach out and to minister, to speak words of love and grace and truth, to reach out and touch and hug appropriately and handshake, high fives, whatever, uh, to welcome and offer acceptance and then to reach out and to meet needs, whether it be practical needs, whether it be spiritual needs. Jesus did that all the time, right? Somebody would say, I want to see, and he'd say, your sins are forgiven. (laughs) It's like, that's what you really need. And then he might bring healing too, but he would meet practical needs as God has loved us, so we are called to love others. Let me pray for us, and we'll wrap up for the day. Father, that is, uh, it's amazing to us. We thank you for the ways that you have loved us. I pray that you would send us out on mission today, not just on July 31st, but that you would call us out today and tomorrow and the next day to love our neighbors as you have loved us. Lord, teach us to love with our words. Teach us to love by turning our gaze and our attention. Teach us to love by meeting practical needs. Teach us to love by being compassionate, noticing and seeing those around us and communicating how much you love them and how much we love them. Come and have your way, God. We need you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.